It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. Help support local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores, coffee, spots, or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support, so let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa. Everywhere you want to be. Official partner. Of the NFL. You are Locked On Bengals, your daily Cincinnati Bengals podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Who they think you're gonna beat them Bengals? What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm your host, Jake Lisko, along with James Rapine. As I promised yesterday, we're going to take a little bit of a retrospective on the first five weeks of the season, and we've got a little surprise for you today. I'm sure you noticed the weird intro, some of the throwback to the previous intro before James joined the program, rejoined the program, and if you're a quick one, you've probably put together the surprise already. Joe Goodberry is with us for this episode today from his retirement. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing fantastic, guys. Thanks for uh, bringing me on, finally. You know, you, I wish you would have asked me at week one or two or three, but Jake wanted to put it off. You're right. I, I never really wanted to have you back on the program, in fact. But, you know, I, I gave in to the pressure. You you hit me with those unrelenting DMs, and, and here we are. Here we are. So we're going to get started with Joe today by talking a little bit about the pressures Joe Burrow has faced this season. How much of that do we blame on the rookie quarterback and his learning curve? How much of that is truly the offensive line? Because we know a good portion of it is. How much of that is the way Jim Turner is doing his installs? And then we're just going to catch up. We're going to take a bit of a retrospective on the first five weeks of this season with Joe. How Joe Burrow is coming along. Get Joe Goodberry's take on some things because he's still out there on Twitter. You're still seeing those takes, and we're just going to get him to talk about him today. Joe, we're going to talk a little bit today about why Joe Burrow has seen so much pressure in his young NFL career. Obviously, some of this, especially early in the year, you go back to week one, Joey Bosa just brutalizes Bobby Hart up to last week against the Ravens in week five when they just had free rushers. They had simple mental lapses, is what it appeared to be. They had instances where Joe Burrow didn't see the corner blitz. They had instances where there were poor handoffs or poor communication along the offensive line. If you had to break it down by a percentage from your observations so far, how much of this is Joe Burrow, how much is the line, and how much is coaching Jim Turner, Zach Taylor, et cetera? I think there's another factor, too. It's game script, right? And I I listened to you guys last week talk about how that's going to be a big factor going in the Ravens game, and it played exactly like your worst fears were, that the Ravens would control the game from the beginning, the Bengals would be down, and 
they're exposed at that point. We've seen it throughout the season when they've had the ability to control the game script through their offense, whether that's putting points up early, running the ball, you know, just staying ahead of it. They feel less pressure. They, they, they are dealt less pressure. And that happens in a lot of different ways because when you have to throw the ball, when you're down, I mean, defensive linemen just act differently. They just react differently. The the blitzes defensive coordinators now feel maybe encouraged to run expands. And I think what we saw last week may influence how I break this down in terms of percentage because a lot of it was Burrow last week. But up until this point, I wouldn't have said that. I would say he's a playmaker, he's a creator at quarterback, and he's going to invite some of that pressure in because he feels like he can make a play the longer he holds the ball. We want that. We don't want to take that away from him. So all pressure on Joe Burrow isn't bad. It's just last week was a little bit alarming. And Joe, I think that's the surprising thing for me through five games is when you look at game script and you looked at at this roster, I think everybody in the world knew the offensive line was going to be flawed. And they also knew Joe Burrow was a creator and he was a guy that could make plays outside of the the scheme. And yet it, it seems like Zach Taylor is a bit surprised by this. <laughs> and early on in these games, not just last week, they've struggled. The first 15 scripted plays on offense, they've struggled. I think they've had 13 first quarter points. I'm shocked by that. And, and I like that you brought up that it, it goes hand in hand because I do think the pressure on Burrow definitely ties to their lack of success on offense early on. Yeah, you know, when I look at the, especially the scripted stuff in the beginning of the games, they've tried to take deep shots, whether that was that first play in the Browns game down the left sideline to A.J. Green, it just doesn't hit, or lately it's T. Higgins or whoever. They're trying to push the ball downfield because they realize it's such a big aspect to playing offense or having a good offense in today's NFL. You can't hit one of 24 now and expect to your offense to put up points. So I think the fact that they want to push it downfield because they know they eventually have to is also inviting some of that pressure. And when they miss on one of them or they have a false start or a holding by last week, it was Alex Redmond twice and, or it's a number of guys, everyone's taking their turn lately. But when you have those, we're getting to the point where now we're in third and nine, third and eight, third and seven. And you look at the Bengals and you say, yep, this is the this is the time where you don't want this offensive line being exposed. There's no more play action. There's no option for a run pass at, at that point. Um, and the Bengals want to spread it out and give Joe Burrow as many options as possible. And I think after four weeks now, we may see an adjustment on how defenses react to that spread offense and say, okay, well, we're going to blitz you and we're going to send that corner blitz, especially after the way Burrow handled it last week and the offensive line couldn't handle the stunts and different fire zone blitzes. I think we're now going to see, and I think even Joe Burrow said before the week, he expects to get blitzed. He said that a few times this this year, and he's dealt with it okay. It wasn't until this game where I'm like, whoa, the Ravens had something a little bit different. Let's see if that goes forward. They certainly did a really good job of disguising blitzes, I thought. They, the, the one interception that he threw, they only rushed three guys. It's a simulated pressure, and the Bengals just weren't ready for it, and I, I think that they've struggled with stunts and twists all year. So it'll be interesting to see if they can adapt to any of this. How much of that is just protection rules, Joe? I think some of it is. It seemed like not the same thing every time was was hurting them, right? It would be, okay, left guard and center had a miscommunication. Okay, Joe Mixon didn't see that guy coming off the right side. Uh, Burrow's supposed to have the unblocked nickel guy, and he doesn't see him or he thinks he can get rid of it quick enough. I mean, all of these are situational things that you're going to look at the tape and say, we got to hammer this down. We've got to figure it out. It can't be an issue going forward. And it can't be, especially with some very tough pass rushes coming up on the schedule, including Pittsburgh twice. They get the Ravens again. They get the Browns again. 
And if it doesn't change, then we're just going to be stunting Joe Burrow's development at that point. And that's kind of the best case outcome. If the pressure continues the same way it has in a couple of these games, Joe, we have a lot more to get to. I want to catch up with how it's going for you in your life generally, how you're enjoying your retirement, and then get your take on the Bengals because I know you're still watching the games. You're still even creating content, definitely at a at a lesser clip than you used to and on no one else's schedule but your own. And I know you're enjoying that, but we'll take some time to catch up with you coming up next. This football season will be different and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch this season. I'm hanging out at home watching games. I'm not going to make it down to Cincinnati, but Pepsi is a refreshment that powers me through game day and has helped me become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football, watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? Nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at my bookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. I know a lot of you have been waiting a long time for Joe Goodberry to make his return to the Lockdown Bengals podcast, but before we talk strictly about Bengals football the rest of the way here, Joe, tell everybody, you know, how's life? Give them the update. I know you're enjoying retirement. We've talked. I have a little bit more access to you in terms of, you know, getting on the phone than the average, the average Joe. Get it? Yeah. Because your name's Joe. Good one. Uh, it's good. Life's good. Um, I'm enjoying doing this part of enjoying football and watching as a fan because I can relax. I don't have the notebook next to me anymore. I don't, you know, I don't worry about. I guess the emotion's just different. Like when before I'd be like, ah, oh, you know, I, I wish that didn't happen because we're going to have to talk about it. Now I'm like, I don't worry about that. You know, and that, it, so what? John Ross is inactive. Eh, whatever. I'm going to keep moving. And then you kind of three weeks later, I'm like, he needs to be active, you know? So it's kind of a weird uh, thing. I don't worry about it at that moment, but then I end up worrying about it three weeks later as a fan. Like I feel like most fans are, but it's nice to have a drink or just deep, decompress after a loss or after a tight game or even a win and, you know, just relax and not have to go directly into either writing, finding a theme, trying to think. I don't think people realize that you guys realize it. Writers realize it. 
during games, you're thinking, oh, I could write about this. That's a good story. That's a good situation. Oh, I can go back and look at third downs, uh, look at every single sack. I can make a video based on that. And then the game ends and you want to do it in stats. And it's just nonstop until like Wednesday. And then you breathe and let that week go. And it's nice not to have that anymore. What's your drink of choice? Uh, I like bourbon if I'm going to have a have a drink. But uh, right now I've got Yingling in there for a beer, which uh, to me is the only beer I really enjoy unless it's like a Corona in the summer. You got all that, that coffee with Bailey's going too. I, I remember that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. I will do that. Actually, I don't have any. That's a good idea, Jake. Thank you. I'm here for you, bud. So so let's shift gears, talk a little bit about football because we do have you for a limited time. We're talking on Tuesday evening and the NFL has rescheduled the Bills game to tonight at 7. And Joe has given us in all capital letters, he is gone at 7, was a direct <laughs> message I got from Joe Goodberry today. So let's get your quick summarized thoughts, Joe, on, on the first five games of this Bengals season. And then I'll get to the question that I wanted to ask you right before we started recording, which was, what was more surprising to you about the Baltimore Ravens game? When you left, it was 17-0. You get back, it's still 17-0. Was it more surprising that the offense hadn't scored or that the defense had held Baltimore without scoring in that period of time? Mm. You know what? I'm going to answer that first because I was more surprised the defense got it together. Because after those first you know, three drives from the Ravens, I'm like, yeah, that's uh, – you know, they're the offense is puttering. They're giving them good field position, and they're just capitalizing. It looked like Lamar Jackson doing what Lamar Jackson does. And then you come back, and you go, man, I think he's like 2 of 10 since then. And their defense is looking good. These nickel blitzes are working. There could have been three interceptions in that time period. Logan Wilson could have had another. Uh, I thought Darius Phillips on that slot blitz really had a good chance. That would have been awesome. You don't even see that ever. Just to, you know, if he would have held on to that, it would have been pretty cool to see. But uh, so I was definitely – more interested that the defense held it together. And I wanted to go back and watch all that and see how they did it. And overall, they've actually turned around a pretty good first five games of the year. If you look at it compared to the rest of the league, uh, scoring is way up. Uh, explosive plays are way up and the Bengals defense seem to be holding it together. But overall through five weeks, it's been an entertaining season. I, I've enjoyed it so far because of Joe Burrow. And I want to see that development. And I think he came out of the gate strong, even though game one wasn't really um, great for him, key mistake at the end, but the drive at the end obviously was something that you're like, yeah, that's Joe Burrow. And I think they've opened it up since then. And from throwing 61 times in Cleveland, you're like, yeah, they, I could see that being a huge part of this offense going forward uh, because they really didn't have anything. You you are quit very quickly. We're like, he is leading this team, this offense. He's the best player. It's all focused around him. So that's good. Uh, and, and just seeing – the different reactions and the different way teams are playing him and trying to trick him and trying to get into his head. Even the Ravens said uh, they told the announcers that they wanted to talk to him and, and, and really try to rattle him that way. It may have worked. Uh, I think it was really more of the, the blitzing and the new looks that he's probably never seen before. Uh, and just overall kind of, I guess the worst part about this season is it looks a lot like last season. I mean, really you have, A.J. Green being non-existent again, even though he was hurt last year, he might as well be hurt this year. So that was a big thing I thought would help this offense. Uh, John Ross not helping this offense, kind of like we were last year, week five at this point. He wasn't there. It's really the only help right now because you lost D.J. Reader, you lost Trey Wayne. Those are supposed to be two big free agent signings that would affect this team. You've got Jonah Williams and Joe Burrow, really. And then you've got Carlos Dunlap not playing up to that level. You've had Geno Atkins hurt. The plus is Jesse Bates looks fantastic, and he just glue your eyes to him because he's the 
all pro safety right now as of as of five weeks in and there's no reason why you shouldn't keep that up so there are fun things to look at but man the the downside the dark side of the moon is that um there's some bleak areas still that we knew were coming and now they're here let's stick with i think the good and i think this will be the good because i'm sure we'll spend plenty of time talking about the negative what surprised you the most about Joe Burrow? It could be something you saw on film, something you heard. What, what surprised you the most over the past five weeks? On a negative side, not to be there, but is the deep balls. I mean, mm-hmm. he was such a good deep ball thrower at LSU, and we knew he didn't have a strong arm. Like, we, Jake and I spent a lot of time saying, well, you know, that, if that's the one negative, that's fine. And, and there's a difference between having velocity, uh, throwing with, with the – um, good amount of spin uh, or, or, or torque on the ball um, and, and deep accuracy and intermediate accuracy is all a function of arm strength. Even throwing on the run and throwing off platform is a function of arm strength. So it, arm strength is such a big chapter in the book of quarterback that I think you, if you look at it and say, well, he's not completing deep passes, it's not all arm strength right now. Uh, some of it's just timing. Some of it is he's throwing off balance and off platforms. Some of it is he's getting used to these different receivers that are out there. And to be honest, I mean, T Higgins should probably have already come down with three of these. That That's what he's drafted for. If, if we say John Ross is supposed to take the top off of defense, T Higgins is supposed to go up over these guys and make these plays. And he hasn't. Uh, and I'm happy with T Higgins right now. So the surprising thing with Burrow is that he hasn't hit him. And I don't think there's any reason to panic. Like there's nothing in his profile that says he won't correct this issue and that they won't correct it. Uh, I do think they need to probably to add a, some more speed at the receiver position. Maybe we'll see Ross eventually, but um, that would help. But I just think right now that is extremely surprising to be one of 24 and, and passes over 20 yards. Yeah, he's killing it in the intermediate part of the field. I think that that probably took a little bit of a hit against the Ravens. He had some some misses in that part of the field. You know, the, the miss to Joe Mixon, even in the short part of the field, it looks like he's running a little angle route. Mm. He starts to break it toward the sideline where, you know, you look at the dots and it looks like Joe Mixon's going to run for at least 30 yards, at least 30 yards before he comes mm. into contact with the Raven there. And, and maybe it's a miscommunication or maybe Joe just misses a throw. He throws it back inside when or upfield when Joe's kind of going toward the sideline at that point. And those sorts of things are a little surprising to me that, that came up in the Baltimore game. I feel like for, for me, that's the first time I've really been surprised with his, his quality of play. And let, let's think about the Baltimore game because Joe Burrow is a guy who's, who's shown us to this point in his pro career that he, he might make a mistake. He might mess something up in practice. He might mess something up in a game, but he's not been prone to repeating mistakes which is huge for a rookie. And, and he hasn't made a ton of huge mistakes to start with. What's your expectation for Joe Burrow in this offense coming out of the Ravens game? Because they're surely going to continue to see a high quantity of these sorts of blitzes and simulated pressures, and they need to get better with it. And I think a lot of that is on Joe Burrow. Yeah, I think of Kevin Falk, who obviously played with uh, Tom Brady in New England and coached at LSU and he, when he called Joe Burrow a competitive maniac and that he's going like I think a game like this is probably good for Burrow since we're not in like a playoff run or Super Bowl type season. Uh, he's I'm sure he is grinding this film and doing whatever he can to figure out what's happening. Uh, and he just seems like that kind of guy like we fully trust that he'll figure he'll figure it out. I don't know if the coaches can help him figure it out. Like some of those things are like. Well, come on, you should have known that those are happening or the coaches should have had him prepared for it and they didn't. But I feel like Burrow will figure it out uh, on his own if, if that's what it takes. So 
for me, looking at that and, and saying going forward, I do expect teams to test him in a very similar way. Now, how he reacts and how they pick it up is all based on their communication and, you know, clearing up the rules and making sure sure they're well-defined and making sure they can communicate during the game and get it done with. Uh, I, I do think that's why we saw Mixon come off a little bit because we did in the previous week, we saw Mixon out there in third downs and, and on those last drives where they really needed him in, in the passing game at the end of the half. Uh, and then we saw Geo kind of get in there a little bit more this week because they were like, okay, we've got some commu- communication issues here. We got to figure this out. Uh, so I think they can do that. That's fixable. The one thing that, it's starting to concern me, though, not to slide back to negative. I know they've only won one game here. But how he's reacting to pressure now is starting to get a little bit more random. And his alarm in his head is starting to get a little bit more inconsistent. And that's not something we saw really at LSU. It looks like 2018 LSU, where he was kind of feeling and readjusting to what the, the clock was. You know, the internal clock, when you drop back, you've got two and a half seconds. Basically, you got to get that ball out. Uh, and if you're not... You've got to escape. You've got to make something happen. And I think right now, the, like, the play I think of was he had two routes, uh, and it was max protection. And you get, I want to say Marcus Peters blitzing. He causes the fumble and recovers it. Or that, that's one that gets uh, kicked out of bounds, I think. Either way, it doesn't matter. You can, you can figure the play out. But when he pops up, the pressure's there. He pops up off the play action, and he looks to his left. Instead of locating the safeties and seeing their split, they've only got two deep safeties. You've got a receiver to the right, receiver to the left. Marlon Humphrey bails out to the left. So now you end up with two defenders on one receiver and just a safety on, I want to say, Michael Thomas running an in route. It just so happens when Burrow looks up, he can't locate the safeties. He looks towards, I want to say it was Higgins. Uh, it may have been Boyd either way, but he looks, and that's the doubled guy, and he panics and, and bursts out of the pocket. Rather than if he had looked up and saw, oh, split safeties, I need to hit the guy in the middle of the field, it could have been very quick in processing. That's one of those situations I think he didn't expect it, and he just reacted. And I think his reaction starting to get a little bit flustered. And from it's just different, right? It's just different than what we saw at LSU because the NFL game is a little bit faster, a little bit different. Still, no reason to be concerned because I think – what we saw in him is that he will get better as he goes through it. We've got a few more minutes here with Joe. We will talk a little bit about how much is coaching, how much is the players, what are the expectations for this young core going forward, and, and how do you differentiate between what is coaching and what's on the player? A little bit more with Joe Goodberry coming up next. Built Bars are the number one protein bar on the planet. We talk about them all the time here on Locked on Bengals. If you haven't tried them, even if you have, You need to go to BiltBar.com and try them again. 18 amazing flavors, six new flavors, carrot cake, lemon almond cheesecake, cherry bar, cookies and cream, caramel brownie, and apple almond crisp. And my personal original favorite, the mint brownie. So they have something for everybody at Built Bar. And the best part about them, not only do they taste great, but they fit your macros. They're protein-packed, low in sugar, and perfect for you. So go to BiltBar.com. Use promo code locked on to get 20% off your next order. Again, promo code locked on for 20% off at builtbar.com. How often do you have to use an excuse like, I had a long day at work, or I'm just not feeling it? It usually isn't easy to talk about erectile dysfunction, but Roman makes it easy to discuss and treat ED. With Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. A real healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan, and if medication is appropriate, Roman will ship to you real medicine with free two-day shipping. 
Getting started is so easy. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to talk about, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today to connect with a doctor and take care of it. Just go to GetRoman.com slash LockedOn to get $50 off your first month of ED treatment, a free online visit, and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn for up to $50 off your first month of ED treatment. One more time, that's GetRoman.com slash LockedOn. Let's keep things rolling here on the Locked On Bengals podcast with Joe Goodberry. And Joe, let's continue to talk about the offensive line and really protecting Joe Burrow in general because a lot of us, really probably everybody listening, was worried about the offensive line going into this year. Obviously, it's it's very much a prove-it year for Zach Taylor. Joe Burrow, as advertised so far, I think for the most part, when you look at this offense and their inability to protect Joe Burrow, is it personnel? Is it Zach Taylor? What do you want to see moving forward? How do they solve it? Because we know there's issues. Every it doesn't take a you know a football genius to to see that. But how do they solve it moving forward, knowing that Andrew Whitworth isn't walking through that door? I think it's so hard to consistently protect in this league when number one, you may only have one good offensive lineman. And I like Trey Hopkins, but he's just okay at center. And I'm the one good one is Jonah Williams. And he's kind of learning through it his first five weeks. I think trait-wise, I'm looking at him like, yeah, he's your guy. You're not going to worry about him. Andrew Whitworth may have walked through that door the way he looks in terms of traits. Uh, he's been beaten a few times, and I'm like, okay, that's fine, because he usually corrects it. A lot like the expectation with Burrow. Jonah's a hard worker in that way. Um, the, the, the hard part is when the guards, again, two years in a row, man, is it three now? But it's definitely two, where you probably have the worst tandem of guards in the NFL. And I think it's so hard to run the ball. It's so hard to uh, consistently protect your quarterback when they're that bad. Uh, pressure in this league, it, I, I feel like the quickest pressure affects the quarterbacks and the quickest pressure is right up the middle or directly in front of the quarterback. And if you can move him from his spot, quarterbacks don't mind if they got to move left or right. It's really I got to bail the pocket completely because it's crashing in front of me that really affects them the most because they're going to cut the field in half. And it may be the half they don't even want to go to. The receivers are all running to the left. You're forced to bail right because the pocket's collapsing. Um, not ideal. So when I look at it, I say they've got horrible guard play again. Why? You know, they, they keep saying Michael Jordan's going to develop into this guy. But at what cost? You know, it, it maybe he'll be good at 25 years old, but he's 22 now and he's definitely not good now. So is that worth it? It's kind of like the Russell Bodine thing. They used to tell us all the time, oh, he'll be good. He's still young. At what cost? Of four years of killing your offense? You can't keep doing that. Eventually, you've got to get a veteran in there to play. And the Bengals just did not address it in the draft or free agency, to be honest. You can't add a six-round pick and think that guy's going to fix your offensive line. You can't just add Xavier Suofilo and think that's going to fix your offensive line. They went out and said, we've got the right guys. We will fix it. Trust us. And now we don't trust them on that at all anymore. So it's very hard, I think, to protect consistently when you have a bad line. And I didn't even talk about Bobby Hart because Hart may be playing the best he's ever played in his career. And that's still an issue, right? That's still not good enough for what this team is going to be. If this is a Super Bowl team in two years, Bobby Hart is not that right tackle. So um, I kind of look at it and say the only thing they really could have done with the pieces and with the hand they were dealt is maybe start Ryan Finley and let him take this beating and let him be sacrificed for the good of Joe Burrow going forward because uh, it's been a lot of hits and it's concerning. But, you know, the, I do think at some point Zach Taylor is going to, whether that's midseason or 
in the offseason. Zach Taylor's going to have to make a decision. Is he tied to Jim Turner? Is his career tied to Jim Turner? Uh, because it might be if he's that, you know, if, if he's that willing to just say he's my guy, uh, then yeah, that might be it for Zach Turner or Zach Taylor and Jim Turner. Let, let's take a little bit of time to, to talk a little bit more about this coaching staff, because I think, as you said, Joe, nobody really trusted when they said, oh, the offensive line, we've got the guys. And, and James even asked Jim Turner when Jim Turner made uh, an appearance to the press a few weeks ago, is the solution in house? And Turner says, yeah. I mean, what's going on there? How much of this is coaching staff and not just on the offensive line? The defense, on the other hand, you know, defense playing a little bit better this year. And right. Outside of the Browns game, I, I think they've actually played pretty well. They've played some pretty dysfunctional offenses. Week one, Los Angeles Chargers offense with Tyrod Taylor quarterback, not a terribly mm-hmm. functional offense. The Eagles this year, not a terribly functional offense. And, and obviously they got they got – destroyed by the Browns that's a short week there are a lot of excuses that you could point to you could point to the fact that they've gotten nothing out of the top five paid guys on the roster either due to age or due to injury or both you could say that they just didn't address the offensive line you could say that the players are just bad they're not executing a lot of people really like to blame the coaches what are the things that tip you off that it is the coaches versus it's the players or vice versa you know just like I said in the first segment about arm strength being a whole chapter and many layers to arm strength, right? It's not just how far you throw the ball. Um, blaming or, or I, got, I should say, um, evaluating coaching isn't just play calling, right? A lot of times we're like, oh, man, the play calling. I actually don't have a problem with the play calling this year for the most part. They've adjusted throughout the year, and I think it's gotten better for the most until, you know, you get beat by the Ravens and you have your playbooks thrown out. But uh the scheme, I think they're doing good things. I think they're doing a lot of the things the top offenses in this league are doing without having that really speed threat that it seems like a lot of the top offenses do have. Uh, so that's not my issue. But coaching is also when you see things like, okay, they're really – last year, right? They're really struggling to run the ball. Halfway through the year, they break it down and come out, and they've got a new new running game, and it works. Great. That's a good adjustment. That's what you should be doing. But now you're already seeing them searching again. I mean, how are we in this situation again that it looks like you're already wondering, okay, we got to switch this up in pass pro. I want you guys to do this differently. I want you guys to react differently because you can tell uh, when you watch players enough, whether it's college or in the NFL, you say, well, that two-hand strike, that's weird. You don't normally do that. Or why are they passing this guy off to this guy? They don't normally do that. Or they, they must be telling them to do this. So uh, development is tied to what are the coaches telling these players to do? How players perform a lot of times is is tied to what coaches are telling them to do, not just asking them to do. That's two different things. I'm asking you to run a post route, but I want you to run it this way, right? Zach Taylor may be bringing the Rams offense, but and you can say, okay, I want you to run um, Brown right, F short, two jet flanker drive, and I can tell you what to do, and I can show you the play and say run it just like them. But I can't tell you why you need to be at this play, at this spot at this time. I can't tell you what this receiver who's just running and clearing out the route why it's important for you to get in front of that safety's face and, and and run to his toes and try and get him out of the play. Like there's so many little things that look like they're missing a functioning, high functioning offense looks like it's running on all cylinders. It's a tightly wound unit. You watch the Bengals and there's so many missing pieces and parts. It could just be a, a simple mesh play and Auden Tate doesn't get in front of his guy and, and AJ Green gets hit by Darius Slay uh, for no gain. Now you're punting. 
it's just little things like that. It's not just running plays, it's executing plays. And a lot of times we think of execution, even coaches will, will get to the podium and say, ah, you know, we didn't execute on third downs. A big part of execution is telling them how to execute it and make it look functional and make it look well-oiled. And that's the part that's really missing. It's the little things that now into year two, I'm kind of like, all right, we need to see it. At some point, it's got to come. You're running the same plays as those good offenses, but it doesn't look the same. Why? It's because it, the players just don't look to be running it at the same speed or with the same confidence. You mentioned A.J. Green, and I have to ask you about him because I feel like every Bengals fan this week has talked about him uh, and is, is discussing him. And obviously, he's off to a, a lackluster start. Uh, we don't know about his hamstring as we record this, but just from a a receiving standpoint, how you, you know, you watch more film than, you know, than I certainly do. And probably most of our listeners, how does he look? What's different? Why is it different? Is it scheme? Is it AJ? What is it? To be honest, he, and I hate to say this because I love AJ green. Um, and I've had other people text me this people I've used as sources before. And they said, and I, I agreed because I've said this too, his legs look dead. And I don't know why it happens. Um, I've called it the career cliff before where you just and I describe it as you, you get past 30 and maybe it's 32, 33, 34, 35. It's not every position has the same age, it seems like. But you're you're walking through the fog of night and eventually that cliff is going to arrive and you get to that age and you're just walking. You never know when you're going to step off. And I think because we didn't see green for really the last two years, year and a half. And the last time we did see him, he was in the slot a lot. He caught one deep vertical ball against the Chiefs in 2018. That was it all year. The rest of them were from the slot where you don't have to be the fastest guy. We know this about slot receivers and slot corners. Um, we didn't get to see that next year. What, he, what would he have come back? Would he have been a, a, now just one step slower? It seems like he's three steps slower, and it's making a huge difference and his ability to be that same A.J. Green. And it's hard because they try to use him like A.J. Green the first four weeks, right? They were throwing – here's 13 targets, A.J. You know, here's deep balls. You're a field stretcher. And I'm like, he's not that. After two weeks, we're looking at, like, yikes. You hit one of these, and you might win that first game with the Chargers. Had it maybe not been A.J. Green, maybe that was T. Higgins instead, and you might be, you may beat the Chargers. Uh, I felt similarly it, the, the following week when you tie against the Eagles. I'm like, yeah, if, if you had somebody else, you might. And by this time, they're already starting to pull away from AJ. Um, maybe his hamstring is the issue. That would make sense why your le legs look dead, right? Uh, and it makes sense if he re-aggravated it. That, yeah, okay, maybe he's out there running with one leg. But there's definitely, from a visual perspective, something wrong with his burst. Maybe it looks so drastic because we haven't seen him, right? And maybe a slow decline is harder to notice. But not seeing a guy for two years, you're like, whoa, that doesn't look like A.J. Green. Let's all just hope for the best, I guess, Joe. And, and we'll have 15 minutes with Joe tomorrow as well. But that is going to do it for this episode of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Joe, thanks for giving us a little bit of your time today. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, hopefully we, we do this again because, uh, you know, I feel like I jumped right back in this like I never left. Yeah, there you go. Just try not to direct message me every day begging to come back on. Like, keep All it right. to once a week at the most, if you wouldn't mind. That's fair. Until next time, Bengals fans, we'll be back tomorrow with the crossover for this week. A little bit more from Joe Goodberry and your updates as the Bengals return to practice on Wednesday. Who day? And have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason. 
Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.